I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You're the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here. Great to have you today. And uh, maybe you're watching us at work. Maybe you're watching us at home. Uh, but the, the idea of work uh, is one. It's, it's interesting because generationally there tends to be uh, some differences. Uh, and I know with, with my children, um, there's some that view work as a necessary evil. <laughs> and I, I don't, maybe that's not the way we look at it. In fact, today's guest says no. That's not the way we look at it at all. And in fact, some of the ideas that I probably would admit that I have had a, a, a regarding work, um, looking at his material in his book and going, maybe I've got it wrong. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, my guest is David Bonson, and he is a he's a big time uh, economics guy. He's a wealth manager, former managing uh, director at Morgan Stanley. He now is the chief founder and chief investment officer at the Bonson Group. Uh, and this is someone you may have seen on like Fox Business or something like that. His book is Full Time, Work and the Meaning of Life. And I would say that most of us probably don't look at work uh, as tied into the meaning of life. So we're going to find out what that means. David, great to have you on Life Today Live. Welcome to the program. Well, it's wonderful to be with you. Thank you for having me. So give us a little bit of an overview of some of the, the ideas here, because these, these are a little bit different. And we've talked about on this program, you know, work as ministry in a sense, right? But as something um, where we have an influence in our work sphere. But you're, you've got it really incorporated tightly with, with things like purpose. What are you talking about? I do, and it's important to point out that I really believe it's subject to disagreement if people are so inclined, but I really believe I rooted everything I'm saying in Genesis, in, in the words of the Bible. When I say that God made us a certain way for a certain purpose to do certain things, um, I'm, I'm basically extracting it all from the creation account of the Bible. And the things I believe about work, even as a, a Wall Street investment manager, they're incredibly rooted in my Christian faith and my Christian worldview. I think God made mankind for the purpose of work. And I think that because he told us that, that he said in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, let's make mankind to come rule over the earth, to cultivate the creation, to extract value, to care for the garden in which he had placed mankind. And he said all of this before sin entered the world. And, and I think this creational purpose of us is um, where we find our image-bearing nature, that we are made in the image of God. And I think a lot of people say that and don't necessarily know what it really means. Mm -hmm. um, we don't share everything with God. We, we aren't all-knowing. We're not all-powerful. God is those things, and we are not. What do we share with God? Our capacity as workers, as producers, as creators, as innovators. We can't create out of nothing. Only God can do that. But all we've been doing for thousands of years 
is creating out of the material of creation that God made for us, that he asked us to go build civilization out of. Mm. And I believe that's what God put us here to do. And the word for everything I just said in the last minute is work. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Now, do you think we have a little bit of a theological stumbling block when we look at the kicking out of Genesis part of things and we see a bit of a curse tied to work? Well, I think that we do have a stumbling block if we fail to understand the text. And luckily, um, there was a, uh, a two-sided curse provided that gives a lot of context. Mm -hmm. First, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, he tells Eve that you will now suffer the pains of childbirth. And then in verses 17 and 18, he tells Adam about how work will involve sweat of your brow and, and, and there will be some thorns and thistles, you know, some kind of uh, 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 challenges that come with work. For one to assume that the second curse means work is cursed and not a blessing, yeah. they have to assume that children are cursed <laughs> and not a blessing. But in reality, it doesn't say either. It yeah. says that there'll be pains of childbirth that come with the blessing of children. And there will be pains and stress and anxiety with work that come with the blessing of work. And I think it's a very clear interpretation of the curses in Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Um, there was a great book years ago by Newt Gingrich uh, on innovation. Uh, and I think in today's society, just the way a lot of work is, is structured, it's a job. You know, when we used to have to literally grow things and literally build things with our hands in order to advance or even survive, I think we saw a little more direct payoff in our work. Hmm. Today, you know, I, I, I've dealt with this myself and dealt with this with my children where, you know, you're working for someone else, you're doing their thing, you, you, you feel less invested in the work because you are just sort of a hired hand, if that makes sense. How do, I, I'm, what I'm driving at is, is how do we take whatever we're doing? Uh, you talk about cleaning toilets in your book. You know, How do we take whatever we're doing and find a God-given value in that task? Well, part of it is recognizing that all of the tasks are God-given and that cleaning the toilet, doing physical work, putting widgets in, in, in boxes from an assembly line, uh, or running one's own business, all of these things only exist to the extent that they are producing goods and services that meet the needs of humanity. Mm -hmm. Nobody will pay you to dig a hole for no reason in the ground for no reason. All of work is what the term I use in the book is transitive. God giving, making us the subject of work, the worker doing work that is externally focused towards a another object, that object being another person. So to the extent we clean toilets, we clean them for the benefit of people who will use them. To the extent we put widgets in a box, we do it for the purpose of people who will use the widget. I understand the mentality that it, you, we used to feel more connected to the work and now we feel like we're working for someone else, but I do not understand the reality because there is no question that we have more division of labor, optionality, specialization of how we use our skills and passions and opportunity than we've ever had in human history. Mm -hmm. The reality is for a long time, 
even in the biblical days in which we were specifically being asked to view our work as a blessing and to be content in all things, you were literally constricted to a family farm, a more feudal situation. And as uh, uh, society progressed, even into the 19th century, many people were limited to the, the factory workers of the late 19th century that largely inspired a lot of what Karl Marx thought was so unfair about, about the proletarian and the entrepreneur. Um, the, the, the issue that we are limited to working for somebody else is not true. We negotiate with an employer with a cost for our labor. The employer is either willing to pay it or they're not. And now we're contributing in exchange for money, our work. Some people will start their own business. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurialism and risk-taking need to be encouraged. I, I believe it's a huge aspect of our creational mandate for work. But yeah, when we are in a job that we don't really like, with a boss we don't really like, who doesn't compliment us a lot, and we're doing some work, are we still working in some created purpose? We most certainly are. I think, so some of those scenarios, you know, even if you look back in time where workers were abused, uh, today it's, it's not as common, uh, thank goodness. But I think a lot of people do feel that they're not doing what they want to do. Maybe they're not doing what they were designed to do. Uh, and, and they view their work, um, I mean, not as punishment, but somewhere in between punishment yeah. and fulfillment, just this thing, this grind that I have to get through. Is that as much a theological problem almost as it is? Uh, a reality of a situation? No, I think most things are theologically driven and then become situational. Mm. So there's a sort of chicken or egg here. Um, it, I go through each chapter of my book talking about jobs I had as a younger person, and each chapter starts with a job I used to have. I'm well aware of the fact that I am a corner office Wall Street guy with a job that... Um, creates a lot of socioeconomic strata for me, both not only am I paid well, but I'm uh, in a position to be complimented a lot. It's really glamorous work, right? <laughs> well, that is not how it all started. Okay, this journey did not begin with me plopping myself in a, in a corner office type situation. And I think a lot of the work that people have, we have to question the context. Is it a station we're in at one given point? We have, we're in a middle management job with a boss who we don't like, and it feels that it's going nowhere, but it's part of our journey to a better opportunity. Because I take seriously the biblical mandate to be content in all things, I also apply that to the journey we go through in our jobs. Okay. Um, work, work, mowing lawns as a very young guy and, and working in a sandwich shop and the, the fast food restaurants, the things a lot of teenagers and young college age people used to do. Um, we've taken that away. And then we wonder why there's 30 year olds that are unsatisfied with uh, office job that they that working a cubicle they feel is beneath them. Um, I think that there is meant to be stepping stones. There's meant to be uh, a sort of journey that escalates over time. And the people I know that are happiest in the destination of their career were happiest in the journey. Mm. You, that's what the whole entire message is of contentment. Contentment cannot start once you are making your dream salary and working <laughs> your dream job. It has to start before then. That is a profound truth. And, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that you have run into people who have 
weren't content on the journey. And once they're to the point where everybody else would go, you've made it. They weren't content then. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. Now, here's something that I, I was looking at and I thought, oh, I think maybe I, I know I've done this. Uh, and there may still be some merit. So I'd like to parse this out a little bit with you. And, but even in ministry uh, and maybe more so in ministry where, I mean, my parents started this organization. It is work. I've done everything from pulling cable, running camera, editing pieces to get to the point where I'm on the air. Um, so I've done all the work, but the work comes home with you. I mean, I'm talking Christmas dinner was a business meeting for us in the sense of talking about ministry with my family. Um, this idea of work life balance, uh, my wife doesn't want to hear all about my work all the time. Right. Um, but yet you push back against this idea a little bit. And I'd really like to I'd like to hear your thoughts on that idea because a lot of people do. We, we, we treat them as two entirely different spheres. Right. And I guess if I start off with the premise that I think I defended well in my book, that work is a key and blessed part of our life, it becomes hard to justify the vocabulary of balancing a part of our life with our life. <laughs> now, you mentioned your wife doesn't want to hear you talk about your work all the time. And I don't know any spouse who would. So there's a real strong need for love and charity and wisdom to to not overwhelm someone with another particular aspect of what's happening in your life. But let me ask a question in reverse that I think makes the exact same point. Does your boss want to hear about your marriage all the time? <laughs> no, no. Uh, but my boss wouldn't hear me complaining about my marriage the way my wife would hear me complaining about well, my and, work. and that that invites a whole other issue <laughs> yeah, as exactly well. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody has ever used the phrase um, "marriage life balance." <laughs> I don't think anyone has ever gone home and said to their spouse, their husband or wife, "Look, I." Please, I can't talk to you about this right now. I'm trying to work on some marriage life balance. <laughs> work life balance, just being very literal and 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 practical, it was a construct that never existed until what we now refer to as Gen Y millennials sort of made it up. Now, I do not blame them for it in my book. I believe the baby boomers that introduced the concept of retirement hmm. and and talked about the idea of the purpose of work being something you do so you won't have to do it anymore. I think that that allowed millennials to have a low enough view of work to introduce work as something you hold in um, opposition or contrast to your life. That work is basically a sacrifice you have to do as an interruption to your real life, yeah. your real life is yeah. your leisure and recreation. Yeah. And work is something that is getting in the way of that. And therefore, any rational person would want to would want to diminish the interruptions to their leisure and recreation. Um, I believe that there ought to be separation between work and rest mm. because God did it and because God told us to do it. And because God told us to do it, because he did it. But no, I do not believe that our work and our life have to be balanced. The entire book of Proverbs, Randy, is written about wisdom. I think you and I develop over years of being married to our spouses some wisdom to not 
be bringing up stuff from work over and over when our wife is trying to talk to us about what we have to do the next day or mm -hmm. what's going on with the kids and other things. There's a time and place for everything. Mm -hmm. That's not work-life balance. That's called being a grown-up. <laughs> yeah, right. That's part of an adult life. And some days you have to work late. And other days you leave early because your kid has a, a basketball game. That's part of the wisdom of decision-making in life. Yeah, that's good. I like that perspective quite a bit. All right, this is the book, Full Time, Work and the Meaning of Life, available wherever you get books. Uh, and I think it's got a lot of, I mean, it's very, very healthy. Uh, and mm, there, are some, there are some things in here that, yeah, I, and I don't blame the millennials because I'm a Gen Xer and we talked about work-life balance a lot and things like that. Uh, so we, I think we sowed some seeds there for sure. But one, you know, one thing that comes up all the time in this is this idea of, of, of workaholics, of, of people who idolize their work uh, or neglect their family in, in the pursuit of a, of a career. And I recognize that that is a danger. How do you how do you position that danger with this healthy view that you're that you're talking about? Yeah, as a Christian, I take an anti-idolatry stance on everything. <laughs> I do not believe one should idolize their work. I just simply and very candidly do not run into it very much. Hmm. Um, in a culture right now that only has 85% of prime working age men between the age of 29 and 54 that have a job or are looking for a job, the same number of men who have a job at that age group that did in the Great Depression. The difference, of course, being that so many have voluntarily removed themselves from the workforce versus the Depression where we had a legitimate right. lack of jobs. Right. I don't think if I were preaching a sermon that I would presume that my cues were filled with people who idolize their work when we are playing 370 million hours a year of video games in our society with just grown adult men. Hmm. We have a problem of laziness. We have a problem of sloth. Hmm. Now, that is not to say that there can't be someone who has um, wrongly ordered priorities. And I think that one who is uh, working in a way that is neglecting their family, the sin is not working too hard. The sin is neglecting your family. Hmm. But what I will say is this, the Bible provides us a gazillion warnings against ignoring your family. And the Bible provides us a gazillion warnings against laziness and sloth. How many warnings does the Bible give us against working too hard? Hmm. Zero. Not one. Interesting. One can idolize their kids. It's a sin. One can idolize their spouse. It's a sin. Um, do I think that we're, a lot of people are idolizing their work? No, but I think I can see people having an unhealthy relationship, but I don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. What I want to do is get a properly ordered sense of loves, of, of priorities, of attention, not one that seeks an artificial totem pole lines like, well, God comes first, then family, then work. That's not in the Bible. Yeah, like God made us as spouses, as parents, and as workers, all one and the same. We don't take a hat on and off as we go from, you know, right now I'm a parent, and right now I'm a worker, and right now these are all part of our being, of who God made us to be, 
that's how I respond to the concern about idolatry. I want a well-ordered person who's being obedient in all domains of the Christian life. I like, yeah, I like that. I don't like the the compartmentalization of God and work and right. family. I did, that never made sense to me. Yeah. Uh, do you think the church is getting this message right, or do we even address it at all? You know, if they address it, I think they're addressing it. The way I say it in the book is as if they're warning people in Kansas about a tidal wave. <laughs> they are preaching to a congregation filled with 30-year-old men that still live at home, that are sleeping on their mom's base couch in the basement, that um, we are in desperate need of greater ambition, greater work ethic, greater productivity, and the sermons I hear are over and over again, oh, be careful about working too much. Work is not your identity. I think the church is getting this wrong. Hmm. And if the church were getting this right, we'd be in a position to lead from the front now, but we're not. We have this sort of apologetic, uh, soft, playing on our back foot stance about work. Uh, mediocrity is not held out as a sin. Mediocrity is, is implicitly celebrated. And if that weren't my uh, observation, I wouldn't have written this book. That's mm. why I wrote the book. I want people, men and women who are at church, to be the folks that local businesses go to to hire. Because yeah. they know they're going to get the hardest working, the most integrity, great virtue, as opposed to a Christian attitude that says, look, I'll do this job because I need the paycheck, I want to tithe but this work isn't all that important to me. I, I think that that attitude has got to go, and it is not the attitude of Genesis chapter 1. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, no, no argument there. I think you're spot on. Um, w when we talk about sometimes it's easy for me where I'm at, which I call vocational ministry, meaning it's a ministry, but it's a job, right? And people look at me as a minister, and I am, man, I, I just, we've got a guy in my small group that just switched jobs and it's a very blue collar uh, kind of job. And, and I've been just working on him trying to explain, you know, that this, this job, this is not just a job, this is ministry. But the danger of saying that makes it sound like I'm telling him he needs to go preach to everybody on the job instead of doing the job well. How do we integrate ministry in the proper sense in, in jobs that are not affiliated with ministry like mine is at all? Well, let's define the terms. Yeah. The Hebrew scriptures have a word called avodah, A-V-O-D-A-H. Avo is a prefix that's used in a lot of different ways as a verb, noun, adverb. But avodah is literally the Hebrew word for either to work or to worship. Hmm. Sometimes it's to serve. In Joshua, it says, choose this day whom you will serve, avodah. Six days thou shalt work and do all thy labor, avodah. God put us in the garden to work, Genesis 2.15, avodah. We were to go before the Lord and worship, avodah. It's the same word. To me, that's what I would say to your blue-collar friend. You are, the word ministry, I think, is unfortunately... Uh, applied in a way that is not crystal clear what one means. I have a vision for the kingdom of God that believes that Christ is Lord of all. I have a vision for redemption, that God is redeeming all things to himself, his people and, and, and all that has been tainted by sin. 
when we work, we are worshiping. And I think when a pastor preaches a sermon, when you do what you're doing in your outlet, and when a blue collar person is out working with their hands, they're worshiping God. And I get that from the direct text of scripture. Hmm. Hmm. So that makes the idea of whatever you do, do as unto the Lord, make a lot more sense when you approach it that way. Yes. All right. This is good. Uh, this is, uh, I think this is a message that a lot of people need to hear. Is, is this re- resonating, especially, and I hate to pick on my kids' generations, um, but I see a lot of, I see, a, I see a need for this attitude to be cultivated uh, right now desperately. I mean, are you getting some, is this resonating? Are you getting through to them? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Are they are they hearing? Well, the, so so far as we're sitting here talking, the book's been out for a grand total of 23 days, and in the last three weeks, I am overwhelmed mm. by uh, how strongly the message is getting out. We have a long way to go. My own book won't be the last, you know, in this subject. There's much more to be said, much more to be done. But am I encouraged? that we're going to get this message out, I am. I'm really blessed by the feedback so far. Um, I think there's a lot who are saying, I've always felt this way, but you really help remind me and re-motivate me. There's others that are saying, I've never thought of it this way. This mm-hmm. is really challenging, convicting, but I think the message is getting out there. But you know, the thing, I, if you're Gen X like I am, I presume your kids are likely Gen Z like mine are, one thing I'll say about the Gen Z kids that are in their either late teens getting ready to enter adult life or in their 20s now, they um, have an interesting um, interest in something that the millennials before them and the Gen Xers before them didn't have. They they want to know that the work they're doing has a mission or a purpose. Yeah, a purpose yeah. and, and, and they'll ask a lot. They'll, I'll work for this company, but what's the company going to do for the environment or what's it doing for some social cause? All, all of these things. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to give a basic economic and a basic theological lesson to say, look to some 25-year-old Gen Z or who has this heart for mission and what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you're absolutely right to ask the question. And yes, it does have a mission. The mission is we're producing goods and services that meet the needs of humanity. And when you work here, you're doing work in an office or a factory or a classroom or a cubicle or whatever, and we're, you're serving somebody that you'll never meet. You might be serving 1 million people mm. at a time. Mm. That, that there is this scale that comes from the service of our work, and that yes, the organization is missionally focused on doing it. That's the right economic message. It's the right theological message. I think the Gen Z crowd wants to hear that. I really do. I like it. Uh, keep keep preaching it. Uh, I want to show you his website. This is the Bonson Group dot com, uh, and this is straight up business website, right? This is where you do your your financial services. Yeah, the Bonson Group dot com is my business website, and then fulltimebook.com, fulltimebook.com is uh, the website we created just for the book. There's excerpts. There's uh, blurbs and, and reviews and a lot of content about this whole subject you and I have been talking about. Yeah, no, uh, that's great. I love it. I appreciate it. I, I really like this message and, and it's not a sermon that you hear regularly on the weekend, but I think yeah. it's something that's very needed. So appreciate your time. Appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate all you guys out there watching. I bet you need, you know, somebody who, uh, would be encouraged, uh, inspired by this message. Hit that share button. 
Uh, and you can pick up fulltimebook.com, full-time work in the meaning of life, available wherever you get them. A little inspiration for you and really good, solid theological view of work. Appreciate you being here. If you haven't liked, follow, or subscribe, hit that button. We'll see you next time here on Life Today Live.